This is the Team of Warriors podcast, strength through leadership. Hey guys, welcome to Team of Warriors podcast. Today we're going to be speaking about the, the whole idea of lone soldiers, why lone soldiers come to the army, you know, different difficulties that they go through, different processes that they have to uh, that they have to essentially do to get into the army and uh, also the difference between lone soldiers over the years. Uh, things have changed over the past, uh, say, 5 to 10 to 15 years and interesting discussions. Uh, These are first podcast, by the way. Yep. Number one. Um, number one. Numero uno. Uh, no, no guests yet. Guest plan for the next episode already. Uh, we'll discuss later on what we're going to speak about in the next episodes. But uh, yeah, I guess the, the best way to start, I mean, as two lone soldiers, Bernardo can start by you know talking about why he came to the army. First of all, I'll introduce myself to those of you uh, listening to this podcast who don't know me. My name is Bernardo. I was born in Mexico. Grew up there and emigrated to Israel at uh, the age of 19. Uh, drafted into the military that same year. I served a total of five years in the IDF, um, including the infantry, a special unit of the infantry, and the special forces uh, dignitary protection of the IDF. Served another uh, approximately seven years of uh, in the security services in the security division of the of Israel's uh, security agency and uh, I'm still in service now for Israel's national police national police on the border guard in a special unit of the border guard that's that's recent that's the most recent one yeah and I have um, a BA and an MA in government and counterterrorism, okay, from the Interdisciplinary Center in Herzliya with Professor Uriel Reichman. Um, and I'm the founder of a team of warriors, Tsevet Lohamim, the non for profit military leadership academy in Israel. Daniel, won't you introduce so, yourself quickly? Yeah, and so. Then, uh, Definitely. So I'm Daniel. I, uh, you know, I moved to Israel from South Africa when I was uh, 20 years old. Um, spent spent some time actually training with Bernardo before the army. Sometime. Um, sometime. Sometime. So I spent quite a bit of time training before the army. <laughs> Did you train then, more than you actually served, or? I probably trained the same. As, uh, <laughs> I I I served for 2.4 years in uh, the combat engineering corps. I was a I was a commander there. I was a sergeant in the end, uh, you know, operationally. And uh, I think I was in Tevet Lachemim training before the army for almost two years also. So, so I definitely learned learned more there. Um, I left the army. Also started working towards a degree in uh, government diplomacy, counterterrorism, and I went on the business side of things. Co-founded a, a startup. That, uh, working on now and yeah that's that's about it reserve duty the usual great so uh, the first thing I want to tackle is what is a lone soldier because there's people right now hearing uh, this podcast and they could be in you know the Punjabi province okay in the in India or Pakistan and they, they don't know what we're talking about where is this lone soldier it sounds like some 
you know, weird expression. So a lone soldier in Israel, okay, is a soldier who does not have immediate family in the country. What does that mean? It could be, okay, by the way, it could be a soldier whose parents uh, passed, out, passed away. It could be a soldier whose parents live abroad because they work abroad. And in most of the cases, um, it is a soldier who emigrated to Israel by himself, leaving his family and friends behind wherever he grew up. Okay, so in this case, both of us served as uh, lone soldiers in the Israeli Defense Forces. Uh, there's also cases of which, for example, uh, someone is serving and he, for some reason, he or she, are not in contact with his parents or her parents. This is sometimes the case with Haredi or Orthodox uh, children of um, really, you know, um, heavy religious uh, families who sometimes, for some reason, they... Uh, they break the contact with their, their child because uh, most uh, Haredi families, like the real Orthodox ones, are not so much in the, into serving in the IDF. And uh, uh, that's yeah. another case for lone soldiers. Yeah, uh, great. So basically, the, you know, the, the whole idea of, of lone soldiers started back in the day uh, in the sense that uh, Israel as being a, really a Jewish homeland People felt this uh, connection to Israel while not not being born here, not growing up here. So essentially, the majority of the lone soldiers that are coming to serve are Jews from abroad. Um, you know, I'm talking about the ones that move here to serve rather than the ones that were born here and you know might be uh, like Bernardo explained, lone soldiers that are Israelis. So uh, I want to tell you guys a little bit about my story of drafting. I came to Israel on this uh, birthright trip, which is basically a great like trip where you get to see Israel with uh, like 20 people with you, and you stay in nice hotels, and you travel around, and you know, just horse around all day. And then I went into a kibbutz, okay, in Magan Michael, in here in Israel, the really amazing place, you know, lots of nature, and the beach is beautiful there, and very nice people. Uh, and so people around me started uh, to volunteer and drafting to the IDF and something really pulled me in. I said, you know what, I think I want to do this as a challenge to myself. Um, it took me a few months, not too long. I first drafted as a volunteer from abroad. That is before I officially emigrated into Israel. There's a program for that. And uh, I, I was... Um, Drafted into the IDF, didn't speak any Hebrew other than a few words, and basically uh, went through you know my basic training and all of that, really not understanding too much. I, I just whatever I saw, I did, and asked people to translate when when it was needed. So overall, my drafting experience went relatively well. Uh, I didn't know anything about the IDF. I didn't know what units exist there. I didn't know, you know, what is the, the, the Navy SEALs of Israel or what is Shaldag or what is, uh, you know, the engineering corps. I didn't know anything. My friends uh, recommended going to the Nahal Battalion. Uh, I met a guy who was there and he seemed pretty cool and he told me I was going to get a machine gun with, um, with a laser and night vision. 
And so he, that pretty much sold me the, the story and I went in. Um, so that's about drafting. I have to mention that I understood it wasn't a light de decision. I knew that I was putting my life in danger and I needed to have a, a bigger reason than myself. At least that's what I told myself when I was doing this because everyone wants to be a badass. You, every single person that drafts into the, the army obviously wants to challenge himself, wants to prove to himself something or to others, wants to become uh, stronger, uh, more resilient, more mature, uh, more independent. Uh, he wants to be a warrior. Okay, so it doesn't matter. This is a this is a, a personal reason, but I felt that that wasn't enough, and fortunate to to have thought that way. Uh, I really before making the, the final decision, I understood that this would be my uh, contribution to making sure that something like the Holocaust, okay, would never happen again. That was really what convinced me of going into the army and imagine I, I didn't know what it was going to be like I didn't speak the language I didn't know you know maybe one person in the military and uh, so, so I really didn't know what to expect and what, what, what basically allowed me to take that decision was the fact that I found uh, a bigger purpose something that was worth suffering for something that was worth working hard for and towards and i think that today a lot of people are missing that understanding that this is service and even though i didn't quite understand understand it perfectly at that time you need to have a reason that is bigger than you as well everyone has personal reasons you need something stronger because when shit gets hard that's what's going to put, pull you through. It's not, uh, you know, it's a, a lot of people that they move to the country, they, they have to do the army. So it's important to differentiate between people who, who came here and have to do the army and, and then, you know, the people who choose to come here. And even furthermore, people that we've been, you know, in contact with along the way that, that chose to draft at a different age, uh, you know, 32-year-olds trying to join an, an army of 18-year-olds. Um, it's important to differentiate between those two things. And like Bernardo said, if you're choosing to come here, you, you need a reason. You need to know why. Um, I guess that gets me into why, you know, why I came. I um, grew up in South Africa in a Jewish community, uh, family very involved in, in the, the Jewish community, synagogue, things like that. Um, throughout, I think it was already our fourth year of school, we, we had soldiers whose job it was to uh, do a shlichut, so they, the, you know, Israel sends them to countries around the world to, to actually live for a few months in the, the Jewish community, and, you know, they teach you about uh, this, and they teach you about that, and I, I remember, you know, I think my mom still got a picture of one of my first days of school, and it was like, what do you want to be? And I had written a soldier because I'd met a soldier somewhere along the way, and, you know, that evolved into Israeli soldier, and, uh, and throughout the time I was there, I really wanted to, to come. Um, I had put it off, I'd started studying there, I'd, uh, you know, done all sorts of things, you know, Jewish mother made sure that I would, uh, you know, get a degree before anything else. 
um, ended up the the World Cup came to South Africa and I met some Israelis that were doing security there and I said to them you know my plan was to go after my degree they essentially told me you know if you're drafting to the army at 20 something it's a whole different story go now and a month later I was in in Israel um, had a I actually got an injury when coming here at the beginning which I guess sort of caused some some of its own issues um, had problems getting the actual drafting letter, which is, I was training with uh, Bernardo and the guys at Tevet Lachamim, team of warriors for so long. Um, eventually I managed to speak to the right people at the drafting office, uh, managed to uh, essentially, you know, bullshit them a bit. And uh, and from that, they, they agreed to let me go to the Hebrew course of the army. Uh, still not, not, saying to me that I'd be able to do combat, still saying that it wouldn't be possible. And I, I guess there when they, you know, they did between the combat sign up and whatever, I had an, another chance to redo my profile. And uh, like, uh, you know, like I said before, I went to the combat engineering call. Uh, it is something that I essentially chose. Like I wasn't 100% sure on it. Um, I really liked the idea of their special forces units. Um, a friend was there. Also from the training, he basically said to me, you know, come to this unit, like, you know, we, we go in tunnels and we blow, we blow stuff up. I, uh, uh, blowing stuff up is what got me. I went there, I, you know, started uh, the, the training there. The, the, I remember the first day on the base, I heard massive explosions and uh, I, I really felt like I was in the right place. And, you know, I just carried on there and, you know, I would have even stayed longer. Uh, if if it had been possible, um, so yeah, I guess one of the things that uh, it's important to speak about today, uh, which you know, I definitely think Bernardo's got an opinion on also, is the difference of choosing to come to the army and, and sort of what it's become today. Uh, so about four years ago, there was a operation in Gaza, Tsuketan um, or Protective Edge, and uh, essentially what what happened was the whole. It, it, it was a very bad, uh, you know, it was a very bad hit to Israel's soldiers in that, uh, you know, the numbers were more than 60 soldiers were killed. Um, out of them, uh, if I'm not mistaken, I think it was four lone soldiers, which, uh, you know, really brought lone soldiers into the spotlight. Uh, it, it sort of, you know, made lone soldiers infamous in that uh, foreign newspapers were speaking about these soldiers that aren't, you know, aren't civilians not born in Israel coming to Israel, serving in the country. It was causing, you know, diplomatic issues there. Uh, on the other side of things, it was causing issues because you you had foreign soldiers fighting in your country and, you know, essentially being killed in combat. And the whole attitude of lone soldiers changed and the whole view towards them changed. Uh, the the army started giving a lot more things to lone soldiers, whether it's assistance and and rent or whatever whatever it might be, and lone soldiers sort of split in two directions to a group of lone soldiers who knew why they were here and what they're here for, and a group of lone soldiers who understood the opportunity to get stuff from the army. I think that you have to understand that you're not signing up to some fucking summer camp. A lot of People do not understand that. Today, I went to a ceremony of a, a end of sergeant's course, commander's course for the IDF, for the mixed battalion of the Alayota Yalden, 
we had one of our, our alumni, uh, 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 Feige, who was drafting there. Uh, um, yeah, she was finishing the course. Yeah. There was a guy who showed up. He turned out he trained with Tzavet Hamim or, you know, what was then hijacked into Tzavet Mikey. Okay. <laughs> and... Uh, and so obviously we asked him, okay, and where are you now? Where are you, where are you serving? Like, so after a few like just, you know, weird hand movements and basically uh, he couldn't really answer the question. Well, like basically he didn't draft, but when asked why not, he, he just didn't make any sense. And then it was like, you know, I realized he would, he would, uh, it would be, a, a, you know, a big time commitment and people were telling me not to do it and like you know so yeah i guess i just i didn't do it when you get someone who gets that type of answer number one thank god that he didn't drive and draft and number two you realize the mindset like they're it's it's like they're choosing a some people approach it like they're choosing a a course out of a catalog like you know like you can just choose your summer camp and it's either a artistic ballet and a hockey summer camp, or hey, maybe I'll just join the IDF and put my life in danger for, uh, you know, for, for a bunch of people. So it is not that. And that is, like, I think, one of the main issues here is your expectations. I wanted to tell you... Um, wait, what was I going to tell oh, A um, few of the stories about, like, yeah. uh, drafting things, you know? I think we should get into that <coughs> a little bit. Like yeah. a few stories of like things that have succeeded, things that didn't succeed, and where you can show this understanding of in the end of the day, it's service. Okay, you're you're yep. gonna come, and no one cares if you don't like it, or if you want to get out on the, this weekend, or if you're tired, or if uh, your brother's in town. If well, you need to go out and you need to protect, you need to do your job. That's what people expect you to do. Unfortunately, that's how it is. It sounds very rough. I also don't like it sometimes, but. It's not about you. It's just not about you. You need to understand that. It's about the country. It's about protecting the people. It's not about you. And to, to add to that, you know, before we get into the stories of what can happen and, you know, people choosing where they want to go, it's important to note that the difference really between, you know, a, a conscription army, although a lot of people do choose to, to strive here and choose to go to the units they want to go to and they you know, set their goals in life. Uh, you know, people want to be a paratrooper, or they want to be in the Sayeret Matkal or the Israeli Navy SEALs. It, it, it's it's not like other countries. The best example being America, that you're you're choosing the army as a career, or the you know the what, whatever it might be, the Marines, the Navy, the Air Force, and you're going to a recruiter of that branch of uh, the military, and you're you're asking to them. In Israel, you've only got a few options, right, with, with regards to combat. You. Um, you can go to the first uh, special tryouts, uh, the field tryouts day. If you pass that and uh, you, you get an invitation to, to one of uh, a few other tryouts, which are essentially your opportunity to get into the, the tier one units uh, or to become a pilot or to become a, you know, a submarine commander, uh, things like that. Once you've passed that, uh, the army pretty much decides where to send you. you. You do fill out a form and you can say, I want to be in the infantry, or I want to be in this. But at the end of the day, no one's guaranteeing you where you want to go. And, uh, you know, once you get to the infantry, you might have an extra opportunity to try out for a special unit within that. 
but it's it's important to know that going into the next story we wanted to discuss because really some people come in with the idea of what they want to do and you know they they get their second option and they might not be fully okay with it, but then it grows on them. And then, you know, following that, you, you get people that uh, actually, you know, the, the choices that they make following that disappointment are, you know, disappointing in themselves. And, I mean, Bernardo can tell you the... Yeah, like you that. said, drafting is mandatory here, and I think that Israelis are basically tired of uh, serving in the military. And unfortunately, there's there's uh, there's low motivation here. Uh, you guys, if you're listening to this abroad and you're you know you're one of those Bibi Netanyahu lovers and you think that everyone in Israel knows uh, knows Krav Maga and everyone can kill a terrorist with their hands, this is not true. Uh, what happens in this country, unfortunately, is that year after year, the motivation for uh, from young people to join combat units is going down. Okay, it's going down every single year. This is on the news. I didn't make it up. And the reason being that a big number of young youngsters today uh, describe that they choose not to go to combat units because they don't see what they're going to get out of it, which obviously completely contradicts what I just told you before. Like, this is not about you. They seem to ignore the fact that someone else has served to protect them okay and allow them to grow up and reach the age of 18 but regardless of that they choose instead they seek uh, to join uh, technological units that have to do with cyber uh, security and uh, with um, basically electronic espionage because they understand that and this is true today coming out of the military with a background like that uh, you're probably going to get a really good job. Unfortunately, I'm talking about males, 18-year-old males and females who are, uh, who have all the conditions to be combat soldiers, meaning they're they're healthy, they're, uh, and th there's no other reason for them not to be combat soldiers. So motivation is going down already for the Israeli uh, youth, okay, to join uh, combat units. And it's not a secret. And those who come from abroad usually come with a very high motivation to join uh, combat units, but they lack the understanding of, the, of what they're going to go through and of what that entails, the commitment that that entails. Not an easy commitment. You're putting your life as, at risk. Let's uh, talk about a few examples, Daniel. Uh, yes, I guess uh, the, the best one uh, was actually... a. Uh a friend or a, you know an acquaintance of ours that, that trained with me uh, we obviously won't mention names but uh, the, this person had ended you know even from the the training before the army you can really see the motivation of some people um, in in this case the the guy was motivated in that he'd show up to the trainings and he'd be one of the stronger people there um, I think originally he'd wanted to be in the Israeli Navy SEALs um, or the Naval Commando Shayetet units uh, whatever went wrong, he, he didn't get in. Uh, he ended up going to an infantry unit. Uh, from within the infantry unit, he he went to a special forces unit in the infantry unit, which he, um, you know, he, he'd sort of agreed with himself that he was comfortable there and he was happy there. But uh, due to, you know, issues before the army of not really not concentrating on Hebrew, 
not concentrating on the culture, not you know, not fitting in with other with other people, and for you know whatever other reasons that everyone will give you. There's a thing in Israel when someone gets pushed out of units, everyone's got a reason why they were pushed out. No one ever told them a reason, but everyone will know why they were why they were dropped out of unit or they didn't pass selection. Now um, he ended up being dropped. Um, they they sent him back to the original infantry unit. He decided this was something bad enough that he, you know, he wasn't willing to to really speak about it with anyone, and he essentially went home one day on the weekend or whatever it was. He packed up his stuff. He left his gun on his bed with a note. He flew out of the country, and uh, you know, he's he's never been back. He's never he he can't come back. He can't come. He can come back. There's, there's, uh, they're so lenient here. The Israeli army, they'll, they'll, you can find a way to come back. Yeah. But he's never gonna come back to being a normal person. And I've spoken to him on the phone about this. He's just extremely frustrated about his own decision. Yeah. He suffers from that. Yeah. And maybe people don't understand to what extent. But I can tell it's been probably three or four years since that happened, and he still thinks about that every single day. He thinks about that every single day, and not only that, it affects his life to the point where he takes certain decisions now, in a way, because he's trying to prove that you know maybe he can succeed at something else instead. Or uh, maybe he can prove himself uh, in another way. Um, and he also attempts to justify his decision with uh, many... To the point where it's gotten to the point where he basically um, was diagnosed or somehow worked on getting diagnosed with a post-traumatic disorder. And... It's true that you know obviously you want you go through things serving in the military, but in his case, uh, let's just say it's not from watching combat close. And I think that what it has to do with is with this feeling of frustration and this feeling of having a basically quit on yourself and ha- and, and I don't wish that feeling to anyone. I I really wish that he gets better and I wish he understands that he he can be happy and he can be successful at anything else and that's something that also is very hard to do unfortunately for everyone but if he makes that decision actively he could be a very successful guy doing anything else and he could be extremely happy and completely forget about this but that is just the strength of this kind of failure of this kind of commitment taken lightly and failing to understand uh, the what you're getting yourself into and then having to deal with the consequences and unfortunately I don't know if you remember but there have been other uh, situations that were even even worse yeah so uh, to those of you who don't know we mm-hmm. unfortunately uh, went through a suicide also in the team of warriors community that maybe did not have everything entirely okay related to the expectations of the military service but uh, it did influence it somehow 
combined with other emotional and obviously uh, you know toxic relationships and things of the sort uh, but that obviously was not a good thing I remember standing on the um, on the grave okay of this young man who was an excellent young man and I felt I felt like I felt that many times when in this kind of things I felt like I could have done more and I could have helped him and uh, I felt like it was partly my failure as well but I mean the point is that this is part of the reason why we do everything I want you to understand what you're getting yourself into and also those who are listening to us to understand what other young people go through even you know if you're maybe a a soldier of many years and a commander or something of the sort uh, I think you'll agree that it's important to understand why you're doing what you're doing especially in this line of uh, work yeah that, I mean there, there's obviously there's the other side of things too right so you know we, we've spoken about what what can go wrong and you know something that we that would be great to speak about in a later episode um, <clears throat> so I, I actually saw a TED talk and uh, and uh, Tim Kennedy, uh, a lot of you will know Tim Kennedy, you know, veteran, UFC fighter, all, all sorts of uh, all-American uh, values. Uh, Tim, Tim Kennedy on, you know, on a, on a different show was mentioning how obesity and, uh, you know, is really the, the biggest obstacle in recruitment at the moment and how people, people don't want to go to the army and people don't want to do this. And, and in Israel, it's really, it's, it's the motivation, and it's also where, where you go in the army. Uh, you know, we, we also had someone that was, you know, involved with us that we knew an acquaintance that had been somewhere in the army that, you know, he was a combat soldier. He was a, any Israeli combat unit, you're, you're doing stuff that's operational. And he was in this urban counter-terror operational unit that, that wasn't a special unit. It was just a, you know, a battalion. But he was so embarrassed that he was in this particular unit and that he wasn't a paratrooper and he wanted to be a paratrooper his whole life. He refused to tell anyone that he was in this unit. And um, and essentially they uh, – and people, they, they really don't want to tell you know anyone where they were and, and it affects their whole life. Uh, later on, he was in contact with some, you know, some trainees that were meant to go to this unit and he basically put them off completely. And uh, you know, demotivated people from going there. And you know, before we get onto the the good side of the stories, it's it's really important. It doesn't it doesn't matter what color beret you're wearing or what gun you have or whatever. You you know, you came here for a reason, and and you know that's that's what you're doing. Um, that that being said, you know, there's some exemplary examples of uh, people that that really got the shit. And uh, but what you're um, talking about is the example of the the guy. The, the being close to you know to the action like yep. uh, there is a trainer here in Tevet who gave me an example once very well explained we all want to be as close as possible to the action right we don't understand that even if the mission is to uh, you know choke some guy in a hotel room right which would be amazing <laughs> there's two people in the, in the hotel room one, okay, did something to him, the other one is choking him. So already you could be the guy who didn't choke him. Not good. Outside of the room, there's probably some people looking out, making sure no one will come to the room. You could be one of those. Not good. Even farther away, 
You could be outside of the building or in the perimeter, located, uh, I don't know, looking out, observing, surveillance. What if you're there? You're not choking the guy. Not good. What if you're waiting in the sea, okay, to pick up these guys, and you're the naval commando, and all you're doing is waiting in the sea in case you have to come and extract them out of that mission in emergency from, like, a, an enemy country. But in the end, everything well, and you didn't have to do it. Would you also be disappointed? At the end of the day, there's one person choking the guy. And it doesn't matter what you're doing, you're part of the effort. A lot of people don't understand that. They don't, uh, and they also don't appreciate the many things that uh, units do. I've had the chance of being in regular infantry and in special units. And I understand the differences. I obviously prefer the special forces in my experience. I think it was very fortunate to have that opportunity. But infantry units and regular units do amazing work. They do great work. They do very hard work. It's very hard to serve in those units. And you learn a lot of things. And in the end of the day, they're doing combat and they're, they're really doing important things. And sometimes in special units, you can be out on a mission and who's got your back? It's a regular unit. If yeah. you need someone to come in and uh, save you, it could be a regular infantry unit, it could be tanks, it could be that you know, you're know you in contact now and you want uh, artillery uh, on the enemy or uh, anything of the sort. So it's a, it's a joint effort. It's a joint effort from the last person to the, peop- to the person in the room. And uh, that is something to understand. It takes a lot of patience, obviously, maybe not so good for uh, uh, recent generations that need that immediate, you know, uh, satisfaction and uh, and they need to feel like they're, they're, they're the ones in the room, every single one of them. But you gotta, you gotta be flexible and you have to find what's good in everything that you do. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, you know, that, that motivation that, you know, finding the good is, is Essentially, the, the next uh, story we'll go on to. Wait, but you reminded me of another guy that I want to talk about. Okay. So go for we it. were giving <laughs> training one time, and uh, some guy shows up on you in uniform. This is pre-army drafting training, okay? So imagine, everyone's like, I think Daniel was training. Were, yeah. were you a trainee there? I was training. You probably were. It's my first session. That was your first session? Yeah. No. With the, the Lochem? There were four of us. Was, uh, okay, so uh, there was uh, Daniel in another tree, and this guy showed up on his uniform. He was a, a lochem in Golani, if I'm not mistaken. He was a warrior in the Golani Brigade, or in, or in the Paratrooper Brigade. I might be thinking of someone else. Anyways, anyway. there was a guy who was already drafted. He, was over, he had already been a year and a half in service as a combat soldier in a regular infantry brigade. Why did he show up? Because from the minute he drafted and missed for some reason the selection for the special forces and was put in regular infantry from that very second until this moment a year and a half later he has been thinking every single day about how he's going to get into special forces again even though this is not common in in most units in israel you, you cannot redo the selection unfortunately okay in some you can in some you can't and imagine that for a year and a half until that point his mind had not been, who am I serving with? Maybe there's good people here. Can I be a good leader? Can I be a good friend in my unit? 
Are, am I professional? Am I doing my job? Uh, you know, uh, am I getting to know the people around me? Is my am I helping uh, my team or my unit achieve the tasks that we're meant to do? Maybe feel some pride for what he has achieved so far. His mind was not there. His mind was all in. I need to get this selection again. I need to pass it. If I'm not in a special unit, I am nothing. That was his mindset. I spoke to him that day, and uh, uh, unfortunately, it took he, the guy spent pretty much two and a half years, his entire service, trying to get another selection. So that's like spending, I don't know, uh, let's say you're, uh, you know, you're, you play golf and you're waiting two and a half years for someone to put the, the puck, okay, under the ball. How do you call that thing that holds the ball? Yeah, um, pin, no? It doesn't matter. Tee. But then the point is the tee, right? But the point is that you don't hit the ball. So you're already there. You're a combat soldier in a regular infantry unit. You miss selection. It sucks. I get it. But you're there. Try to get to know the people around you. Try to become a good friend, a good warrior, a good leader, a good soldier, a professional one. Become a commander, become a sergeant. If you like it, make a career. If you don't, when you finish that period, that task, that commitment, 100%, you gave it your 100% and you were the best you can, then try something else. Life is huge. You can try out for something afterwards, after you get out of your mandatory serve. You can get into law enforcement, into security, and the private sector. You can uh, join uh, units of the police. You can do so many things. It's not over. I think there's a misconception also that you need to be in the special forces to do all sorts of jobs. I, I understand that there are countries where that's that's true. Uh, in Israel in particular, you know, both of us know people that have been in all sorts of regular infantry units even. and. Uh, you know, I've excelled in all sorts of government jobs and, and things like that. In this situation, there's always waiting to achieve something. You can always be in a situation where you're really trying hard to achieve a goal or a dream that you have. But you know what I learned? And this I learned from a very good friend of mine, but I also saw it on other people that I've trained. You have to have a red line. You have to say, if I don't achieve this by this date, then I will move on. I will just move on to the next goal, to my next dream. You can't waste your entire life on something that is not going, that's not working out. I know it, it doesn't fit with all these, you know, Rihanna and Britney Spears uh, MTV messages, believe in your dreams, never stop, never quit. They don't know what they're talking about. They have no <laughs> idea. Those girls are aller allergic to sweating. And unfortunately, they, they're not tough. And they haven't done hard things, or maybe if they have, it's not the kind of things that you do in the military. Okay? It could be different hard. Be dealing with emotions, or or drugs, or uh, you know loneliness, or things of the sort, or abuse. Okay, in, in that industry. So you have to have a red line. We had another guy, really interesting guy. He was from Spain. You met this guy? Yeah. This guy was from Spain. Super interesting story. He discovered that in like you know in the inquisition his family was jewish in spain and they converted to being christian okay as part of like the the hunt for jews during the inquisition in spain and you know this was i don't know 
a long time ago, okay. ago. <laughs> in the and and uh, basically um, he discovered that and he had a feeling they wanted to move to Israel and join the Israeli defense forces and be a soldier he's a super smart guy he had like a degree in like uh, uh, physics and like rocket science and combined with like uh, computer uh, you know uh, science and uh, philosophy and like uh, doctorate in like game theory and like uh, something of the sort okay and nothing shy of that <laughs> and he came to Israel they, they, he had a problem becoming a citizen they wanted him to convert uh, the Orthodox way to become a Jew he couldn't find a place to do it one year goes by he trains with us he, this is a guy incredible he would we had trainings at that time at six in the morning on Fridays that's rough. Okay, people today they they wake up at eight and that's early for them. So he would sleep on the beach, fly from Eilat, which is all the way in the south of the country, on his own. He would pay for that, fly to Tel Aviv, sleep on the beach to make it to training on Friday mornings. And he was a very smart guy, uh, very mature. Two years go by, can't convert, no draft, no IDF. Three years go by. He came to speak to me, he told me, my mom is sick in Spain, and I don't know what to do. I've been here for three years. She's been sick for like, I don't know how many months. I'm not working. I can't give her money, but I, and, and you know, I feel like I'm so close to achieving my goal. Like, I know, I know I'm going to get it. And you know what? Maybe he was right. But I told him at that moment, I realized how he has to have a red line. And what, are you going to wait two more years, five years, ten years? You're going to get it at some point. Is it worth it for you, this weight? When you have a family situation, when you've spent you know, years and you haven't earned any money right now, is this the right thing to do? And you can fight for your dreams and you can fight for your goals, but you have to set a red line. If it doesn't happen by then, move on. Find something else. Work around it. I think... It's very important the red line, uh, you know. In a few set, like uh, on a personal sense, I can say that, you know, when I came here, I came to draft to the army. So I, I didn't. There was no way I saw myself going home without already being a soldier. Uh, so as I said before, it took me almost two and a half year. Yeah, it took me two years to draft. Uh, so essentially, for those first two years I was in Israel, I didn't go home, didn't see my family. And then I was in the army. And then, you know, when you're in the army, it's basic training. And they say to you, okay, you can go home now, but you miss a part of advanced training. You, you, you know, there's this FOMO and this, I'm a soldier, I'm not going to miss it. So you, you know, you do, you do the Hebrew course. And after the Hebrew course, you want to be a combat soldier. So you go to basic training. After basic training, you, you know, you want to carry on. So you do advanced training. Then all your friends are going operationally to, to be deployed, uh, you know, somewhere in the West Bank. So you, you put off going home again, and then, you know, essentially you, you then, they say to you, okay, well, you know, if you want to be a commander, this is the commander's course. So you go to commander's course, and then essentially what happened to me was I kept pushing off the, the going home. I kept saying, no, I'll go home at some point. Um, I think I got, it was 2013, uh, so it was, it was about three years, or it was ready to, I think I was here for three and a bit years. And then my father passed away and it was like all this putting off going home to visit the family or whatever, you, you essentially missed things that you, you had to go to. And I went home for the first time and whatever, that was an experience in itself. But coming back, you realize that 
you know, things things happen. Like it was completely fine that you left. Like the army carries on going, your unit carries on going, the soldiers with you carry on going. You know, it's another sort of red line that uh, that you, you need to understand. Okay, cool. This this is the time I have to do something. This is the time you know to go home, or whatever it might be. You know, this is the time to to stop trying to go to the army and carry on, you know, getting a job to be successful in the country. Like, you know, if you want to get into a specific unit, you're, you're not going to get into that unit. But, uh, you know, whatever, you try to get into special forces, you didn't, you're in the unit you're in now, you're, you're going to miss, you're going to pass that threshold and miss that opportunity to be successful in the unit that you're in because you're waiting for something else to come. You know, always work on what you're working on right now. And, you know, keep it going. Set a red line. Even when drafting to a new unit, when going through processes of recruitment, things move slow here. Yeah. Th things move very slow here. There's a lot of bureaucracy. People, you know, it takes them. Uh, they don't get back to you. It takes them two weeks to to uh, draft a document to put in the computer. If you just wait for people to to be nice and finish up the process, that that is very simple. You could wait forever. And you have to have a red line. Yep. They have to have a red line. If it doesn't happen by December, I'm moving on. I'm taking another job. I'm doing something else. I'm going to a different unit. And it's it's something that can be taken out of the army to, to the world. You, if you've got a startup and you're you know you essentially you you've quit your job, you're living on your friend's couch, eating pizza, like you're you know you're trying to get this startup going. You you've got to say to yourself, listen, the, the idea might be great. But if I don't have money, if, if no one's investing by this time, this is the time to end. You know, it's really the crossover between the, the military world and the and the, the business world. Of, I think it know. also helps to set a date like that. Yeah. It kind of like uh, commits you to achieve it by then. Yeah. You know? Dead, deadlines are great. Uh, you know, yeah. there's, there's procrastinators in the world. And I, I heard I'm, Pablo Escobar set a deadline that he was going to be a millionaire or commit yeah. suicide. Yeah. Worked for him. Uh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> I mean, he was more than a millionaire, but uh, yeah, it's uh, like, I, I don't know, I, I'm someone who even throughout the army, the the deadlines were my, I, as a student, even my, you know, my, my motto is do tomorrow, do tomorrow. Uh, it's, you know, it's been, uh, it's been an issue. Yeah. What does that mean? If it's due tomorrow, I'll do it tomorrow. Do, D-U-E, like due date is tomorrow, I'll do it tomorrow, D-O. That's it's explain, an issue. Explain to me why why you just said that and how that is like what we want to say on this podcast. Just explain to yourself. <laughs> no, so that no, so I was I was getting it. So, so that's an issue, right? And it's it's something ah, that, that I used to be your yeah. Emotion. No, ah, no, I've, okay. I've, I've worked so, on this, so, right? I've, I've worked yeah, on this. I get it. So uh, one thing that I learned in the army was that you you can't leave things to the last minute because they they don't happen. So you need to say. Okay, on Tuesday I need to do this, and it, it needs to happen by Tuesday. And you say, okay, next week this needs to be done, and those those things, you know, are things that you want also. You know, you you say to yourself, okay, by by this date this needs to happen, or I'm trying something else. Um, otherwise, you you just become one of those people that's waiting and waiting, and and you know, we we know tons of those people. Yeah. Um, so I guess you, you really wanted to talk about the good examples, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess the, the if you want to start with the, the first one, uh, you know, it's it's essentially a story of getting getting shit and turning it around and, you know, making a success out of it. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, well, I, two stories come to mind, like, right away. 
one uh, another uh, uh, alumni of Tzavet uh, Lochamim team of warriors uh, emigrated from the U.S. He went over a selection for the tier one. He passed it. He got a a secondary selection for the 669, the combat rescue unit of the IDF. It is like the paradigm. PJs. 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 And uh, obviously it's a great unit, Um, a very elite unit, you know, lots of money, Air Force, uh, lots of fun. And um, he comes to this second uh, selection. I think he passed that one too. And then somehow... They realize that they made a mistake recruiting him because they don't take people with glasses. Somehow it fell through the cracks, and he has a, or he had a, a big. Uh, what is a big? He had a like a, the, his number was big. His number was according to the standards that, that was set in the unit. It was it wasn't uh, it was too much. So. After he went through the selection, after he passed it, after he was sure he was going to this unit, then they told him, my friend, we made a mistake. You can't come into this unit because of your, um, you know, your uh, your eye issues. So I can tell you already now that many people I know will be completely broken, including myself, obviously. Uh, but the question here is how you deal with it. And the way he de- he dealt with it was... Truly remarkable. Uh, it didn't stop there, the bad news. Usually, when you don't get into a unit like this, you are allowed to interview for a second-tier special forces like Egoz or Maglan or, you know, uh, the Commando Brigade or things of the sort or uh, Gatsal, you know, the, the Force Reconnaissance uh, Battalions or uh, re- uh, Brigades of, the, of each uh, Infantry Battalion. But he didn't get that either. For some reason, they told him, no, there's no interviews, and, you know, you missed it, and we're sorry, and and just, you know, see you later, dude. And he went to uh, the paratroopers, regular infantry paratroopers, okay? So, uh, you know, we gave a few examples. People who spent their entire... The other guy that I spoke about would have spent three years trying to, to get back into that unit, even though... You know, they basically fucked him over and they were assholes and, and you can't get into that unit. But what did our friend do? He focused on his 100%. He focused on what he had. He cared about who he, who he was with. He got to know the people with him. He did a good job. He gave his 100%. They chose him to become a commander, a sergeant. He did his commander's uh, course. He had to uh, lead a group of men in uh, combat operations afterwards and he came out of it with much more he came out of it with success he came out of it where he learned a lot he led men uh, he grew he made friends forever and he uh, he was active and he did great things for the security of this country and for its people and he's carried on with that today. And after that, he carried on into different positions with the security services. Again, that was just a, a different approach, a different attitude. Yeah. And I mean, it's, you know, before we get into the second one, it's, it's very much the, 
the the joke of Lone Soldiers and you know in, in general how things have changed over the years. Everyone will tell you ten years ago the army was harder, fifteen years ago it was harder than it is today, things like that. But really nowadays you you see these complaints of uh, you know friends of mine are visiting. How do I how do I fake an injury or a sickness to to get out of uh, you know my service or base? Uh, people signing up for for university or college early so that they don't have to go to the army. Uh, people, you know, getting going so far as to, you know, we, we know someone that didn't really need a surgery and convinced people for a year that he needed surgery on his knee so that he could, uh, you know, he wouldn't have to go to the army and just never, never ended up getting that surgery. Yeah, I guess the saddest part is that in the end of the day, you chose to serve. You chose to serve. You don't have to serve if you, especially if you were emigrated and with the purpose of serving, and you don't have to do that. You don't have to come up with excuses. God knows, I made a lot of mistakes also when I was a young kid. When I was 18, 19 years old in the army. You know, you 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 want to go home. You want to see your girlfriend. You want to hang out in Tel Aviv. You want to go out, uh, you know. You don't want to close another weekend, another weekend, another weekend. But you don't have to do that. You don't have to do that because if you have a strong understanding of why you are there, why you are serving, why is it important for you to be in combat? If you remember that you chose that, that you wanted that, I can tell you a hundred percent, you get through it. You get through it with a different attitude. And you get more out of it. You end up getting more of it, but you also give more. It's also worth more. You're protecting. You're serving. You're doing it right. When you, when you understand that you you know you're serving for one and a half years, two years, three years, whatever it is, and you, you know and you you turn it around, and you say, okay, well at the end of these three years, what what's going to be written on my you know my resume? What what is it going to say that I came out of? Which courses did I do? What you know? What's the recommendation letters that I'm going to get? And uh, you know, and you you concentrate on on things like that, and you know the experience, and you you get through. The, the time goes faster, and you you get more out of it. You're you're a better person afterwards because you realized what you needed to learn, and and you learned it, rather than you know these people that are spending their time, uh, you know people spending their time off base. They're not going to they're not going in. That the time goes really really slowly, because when you're sitting at home and you've got nothing to do. The days aren't passing as fast as they are when you're, you know, on the on the cub or you're Sorry, cleaning man. toilets or I whatever it is that you, <laughs> or whatever it is that you're doing. It's a uh, it's a completely different story. And you know, another soldier that really took that, um, you know, very similar, very similar story to the one before. Uh, you know, also from that training group. Uh, Bernardo is better at the, the story, I think. But, I'll tell uh, you the story. Yeah. Okay, this guy, uh, great guy, a really talented guy. Um, again, he passed selection, got into one of the top units of the Air Force, the, the, the Air Force Commando, the Shaldag unit. He got in. They told him, you're in, buddy. You passed. Then one day before he's supposed to drive, they tell him, oh, we made a mistake. There aren't enough spots for everybody. Our bad. We're sorry. Sorry, dude. Like you're going <laughs> to the infantry. We're. It's our bad. We're sorry. We take the blame. 
I was obviously it's appalling. Okay, obviously it's horrible. It just shows how unprofessional uh, uh, things can get. Okay, um, you know obviously in in the IDF and you know it happens. These things happen. But uh, I can tell you, I would have been broken. I would have been completely also like offended by this uh, you know this this sudden crap. And I can tell you that a lot of people wouldn't have uh, dealt with it with it well. Uh, and I spoke to him, this guy, uh, when when they gave him the news, and he taught me a lesson that day, because I told him, listen, let's appeal this decision, let's try, let's speak to this person, to that person, let's try to get you in, anyways. And you know what he told me? What? You know what he told me? Yeah, I do. <laughs> <laughs> he said. Um, he said, no, no, it's fine. I, I came here to serve. I don't care which unit I'm in. I'm just going to do the best I can. That was his, his, his answer. Yeah. He taught me something that day, okay, that, uh, I mean, I, I really wish that everyone uh, could have that attitude because that is, that is the way to go. Yeah. That is the way to go. And he was ready to go to any unit and do his best. And I don't know, I don't know who was listening up there. But the next day they called him again and they corrected the mistake and told him in the end you're in. Welcome. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, so just... He was lucky, but he showed also that he could have dealt with the with the with the issue. Yeah, and something that happens often. It's also how you take the no. And, you know, if you're if you go crazy the, the no's never gonna become a yes. Um, well I guess to to finish off, I mean the, Are you trying are you like what? Comparing to like hitting on girls or something like that? What do you mean? No, 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 definitely not. If a girl says no, it's no. Especially in 2018. No, it's no, Daniel. <laughs> Especially in, in 1970 in also, if you're still alive from then. I don't know. Apparently, you know, people, people back in the the 80s, even, uh, you know, especially if you're looking for a job or <laughs> <laughs> if you want to be, I don't know, the, the a judge or something like that, then no, definitely <laughs> means no. But. Um, yeah, I guess the, you know this. This was essentially our first, uh, our first episode, of uh, the first volume. Uh, our plan is to go into all sorts of different, uh, you know, have all sorts of different guests, uh, all sorts of topics that people are interested in. Uh, you know, the security service in Israel after the army. Uh, you know, drafting to the army in general, uh, to to be a lone soldier, uh, training, Krav Maga, what it requires, uh, all these things. So we're also having you know, going to have specialized, uh, you know, we, we really have the privilege of knowing people from across the world, from all sorts of different units. Uh, we've got episodes planned specifically on units and, uh, you know, bringing guests from similar units in f a few different countries to just talk and have this conversation. I want to tell you a few of the subjects we spoke about. We want to talk about... Um the Navy uh, commando, the Air Force commando, about uh, course Ahid, which is a very uh, uh, coveted uh, law enforcement and uh, federal security course here in Israel. Uh, we, we're going to talk also about the private sector and uh, Israeli tactical trainers. Um, I, I want to talk also about um, you know the difference between uh, professions within the defense industry. You have uh, such things as security, as intelligence, as direct actions, law enforcement. You have to understand the difference between all of these options. 
because uh, I've noticed that some people have very blurred lines. Um, and we have many other themes, okay, including uh, long courses, the Maslul, like we call it here in, uh, in Israel, Mr. Uh, okay, the units, uh, the undercover units, um, uh, you know, how to approach all the aspect of security clearances, dealing with the... Um, uh, with failures, uh, what is the combat spirit, and uh, you know other great, great themes. Um, if you are one of these people that you know that you are a friend of ours, okay, if we follow you, if we speak with you, if you uh, if you understand the, um, that that you have something to you know to to, to add to bring to, to, add, to bring to help to show. Uh, not only to make this podcast great, but to help others that uh, are on the path to join in the military or, uh, you know, who, who want to expand their knowledge about uh, all of these things. Uh, contact us via direct message on Instagram or, uh, yeah, on Instagram at the moment. Uh, and, uh, and so we can arrange something for the podcast. To uh, wrap it up. The army's hard, man. It's dangerous and it's fucking hard. You're putting your life in danger. You can die, you can get injured, you can lose your friends, you can have a trauma. It's hard. You have to close. You don't get out when you want to get out. You have to wake up when you don't want to wake up. You have to do things you don't want to do all the time. So it's not a summer camp and it's not a decision you want to take lightly. You obviously want to be a badass, that's fine. Everyone wants to get strong, everyone wants to know, you know, how to stand up for oneself and get recognition and do something cool, but you need something bigger than yourself. It's not about you. It's not about you and it's service. You're sacrificing to provide service. Daniel, any last thoughts? Yeah, that's. Uh, I mean, that really sums up the the first episode and the idea that we were hoping to get across. Uh, Another great guy to look up, by the way, is Moshe Levy. Those of you guys who don't know Moshe Levy, I'll tell you a story really quick. Moshe Levy is a hero of uh, Israeli military history. Uh, this guy was in reserve duty uh, when the what war was that? Second Lebanon. Uh, Yom Kippur, maybe uh, I think. Maybe. Yeah. Anyways, he uh, was in charge of a uh, armored uh, personnel uh, vehicle, okay, going down uh, towards the uh, Egypt when he went on an ambush by Egyptian commandos at that time, and uh, they basically uh, their vehicle was stopped on its tracks from all the fire they were taking. He wanted to evacuate. They were taking fire from one side, so he wanted to get everyone out of the vehicle to the other side. And while opening the door, he got uh, he got his arm ripped off completely by a rocket, uh, by an RPG. Uh, they got out of the vehicle, and he realized that uh, if he wanted to save his guys, he had to uh, basically sacrifice himself. So he told them to run for cover and he was going to attack the ambush position alone. He grabbed a grenade, okay, in one hand, took out the pin, or I guess he asked one of his friends to take out the pin. <laughs> his teeth. <laughs> or with his teeth, probably. 
Uh, and he just started walking towards the, the, the ambush position of the Egyptians. For some reason, they did not shoot him at that point. They must have thought he was in shock. He was like probably dying or something of the sort, or he didn't represent any danger. I don't know what they were thinking. Uh, he walked close enough to throw the grenade inside of the position, killing uh, the men who were there and surviving. He survived. Uh, he's a hero. He showed courage, sacrifice, and he goes around and, and, and talks okay, as part of his, uh, of his reserves uh, today. Uh, and basically what he speaks about is that you serve because there were people before who served for you, who donated his life or their health or their bodies for your safety. So you owe them that. Right? So if you believe in that, that is a reason to serve in the military. There is a reason to go into your mandatory service or uh, to go into law enforcement or to protect your values, your country, your land and your people, wherever you are. Thanks a lot. Yep. And thank you for, for listening, guys. And Yeah. Yalla, Habibi. Until the next episode. <laughs>